Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, we're revisiting a conversation we had early last year with Republican Congresswoman Michelle Steele. Steele was elected to the House in 2020, one of two Korean-American women to flip seats held by Democrats in Orange County. Now she faces a competitive path to re-election in a district where Democrats outnumber Republicans. We'll get to that in just a second. But first, Scott... Some actual news this Fourth of July week. A uh, couple things. First of all, you are you broke a story today. Tell us about it. We got a new DA in San Francisco. We got a new DA. That's right. Uh, Mayor London Breed has uh, found a replacement for Chesa Boudin, who was recalled last month. Uh, she's going to go with Brooke Jenkins, who was a very vocal critic of Boudin, a former prosecutor, worked in the homicide unit, hate crimes unit before that in San Francisco. And so she'll be sworn in, I believe, tomorrow when Boudin leaves the office formally. And she's going to have her work cut out for her, in part because she's going back to an office she quit and was very critical of. So she'll be, uh, you know, rejoining some people as well as some new folks that Boudin hired. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of works out. Uh, because that office has, has had a lot of uh, turbulence in the last few years, going all the way back to when Kamala Harris left. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting choice for the mayor. Um, as you mentioned, Brooke Jason's is a you know, former assistant district attorney, but has never managed a huge office. She's relatively young, uh, African-American and Latino. Um, and certainly, you know, like like the recall was about Chase Boudin, not about someone like Brooke Jenkins making her case. So I'm personally I'm going to be fascinated to see how she tries to tackle some of these really challenging issues, which clearly go well beyond the purview of the DA, but which Chase was in the hot seat for. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, during the recall, there was no talk about, oh, we have to continue with all these reforms. And it's soon as Boudin was recalled, the mayor and others, including Jenkins, were like, oh, no, no, we're all for those reforms. It's about how the office was managed. It's about charging decisions. It's about, you know, what kind of plea deals are we going to do? And how do you maybe rebalance public safety and giving people a second chance? Yeah, but that's easier said than done, Scott. Is it? Is it, though? Because on a lot of these cases that they went after the DA for, they were talking about the difference between a 20-year sentence and a 30-year sentence. I mean, things that actually don't necessarily in this moment have an impact on the ground. So a lot of the stuff that he was really under fire for quality of life shoplifting um you know it's it's going to be up to the mayor and all of her appointees because she's gotten a lot this year that's right and they're all going to be on the ballot in november including her and three school board members and a supervisor matt dorsey uh we should also mention that in los angeles uh former san francisco da current los angeles da george gascone has a recall attempt against him and signatures were turned in this week so we'll be watching uh that we're also watching 
Governor Gavin Newsom and his uh, forays into other state politics. Or not watching. Uh, yeah. He is in Montana. This is, as you called earlier, Montana Gate. Uh, you know, the mayor left the state with his family for a vacation. Um, and the mayor, uh, the governor's office didn't say where he was going. And a few reporters got very curious about that. Turns out he was in Montana, which happens to be on the list of states that you cannot go to and get reimbursed for with state funding. It doesn't say anything about where you can vacation, which is what he's doing, and he's doing it on his own dime. Yeah, perhaps more interestingly this week, Newsom rolled out a campaign ad in Florida, of all places, kind of going after Ron DeSantis, his nemesis of late, the governor there. And it's really raised speculation, Scott, that he might be lining up or at least positioning for a 2024 presidential run if Biden doesn't run, if Kamala Harris stumbles. Um, I don't know. We've watched this guy for a while. I would be kind of surprised if he ended up running in 24. But who knows? He's he's got nothing to lose. I mean, he beat back the recall handily. He's going to get reelected in November, in all likelihood. Uh, It's kind of a a free ride. He's playing with house money, in a way, uh, on this. And it certainly has blown up. He's got more than... it's so cheap there. It's so... (laughs) Compared to California. 100,000 bug. Well, forget about what was on TV. He got three over 3 million views of that ad uh, on Twitter. So I'm sure they're they're feeling that was money well spent. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, this gets him at the head of the conversation. And uh, leading into our final topic, this top, Scott, I think it, it, it... He really has been positioned himself as the sort of new face of this party coming out swinging on things like abortion, on guns, and pushing folks like the president, who he doesn't think have been as outspoken. Um, He hasn't gone after her by name, but another person getting some heat is Senator Dianne Feinstein, um, who... You want to fill us in on the filibuster, the latest yeah. filibuster debate? Yeah. So our friend and colleague Joe Garfoldi from The Chronicle wanted to know if Dianne Feinstein had changed her position and would support removing the filibuster to allow Democrats in the Senate to finally push through a codification of Roe now that uh, the Supreme Court has struck down that right to an abortion. And initially through a statement, uh, you know, they were kind of squirrely about it. Uh, And then, you know, after the article ran, you know, she did say she would support getting rid of the filibuster. At least for this situation. For this situation. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, voting rights is also super important. And, you know, you also have to get all the other Democrats on on board uh, to actually codify Roe, which, you know, perhaps is doable. But, um, you know... I think in a lot of ways, this is part of a drumbeat against Dianne Feinstein. Uh, We've seen a lot of articles very critical of her and, uh, you know, whether she's up to the task of representing 40 million people in California. Which I think, and yeah, whether she's in step with the electorate here still. And, you know, if she's sort of part of an old guard that I think some younger Democrats especially think it's time to move on. But in another way, and I love Joe dearly, love you, Joe Garofoli, but it also feels like a bit of a distraction right now to be so focused on whether one you know, member would support abolishing the filibuster when you have two Democrats, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who have said they won't and really not even like... like it's like it's we're, we're a little a few steps ahead of ourselves here, right? Well, it's kind of like, you know, Gavin Newsom running ads in Florida, you know, <laughs> maybe Joe Biden won't run. Maybe Kamala will stumble. And I think that maybe uh, everybody's wrong and Democrats will pick up seats in November. I mean, that's when this is a real conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, which and, could happen. It could. And I think that, you know, for somebody like Diane Feinstein, the question then becomes, like, to your point, is she the best representative of this state and the party in this moment? And can, you know, if someone like I do think it's instructive to ask somebody like her whether they would support this change of the filibuster, if only to see sort of how that like leads to 
to everybody within the caucus because she is one of the traditionalists, right? She is. She, and she always has been. She's been out of step with the party in a lot of ways. And, you know, similarly to, you know, Biden, you know, and people like Newsom and others uh, kind of putting up, you know, trial balloons, you've got a lot of people already lining up to run for that Senate seat or maybe even get appointed by the governor in case uh, she does leave early. But I I do think that there's an interesting sort of political level here, which is in some ways this debate, another sort of internal democratic debate over a procedural issue that can't even happen without other members coming along is kind of letting Republicans once again lead on this political you know, conversation. And I think that th- that is who has pushed these abortion bans. That is who is getting all the attention. And what we're seeing on the left, I think the, the sort of risk for Democrats is that these types of intra-party debates over an issue that you know, Diane Feinstein supports abortion rights are kind of allowing. Kind of, yeah, yeah it's allowing people to get frustrated at Democrats instead of focus their attention on Republicans, which is what someone like DiFi should want them to do. All right. We are going to leave it there. When we come back, we're going to bring you our conversation with Congresswoman Michelle Steele. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we are bringing you a conversation we recorded last year with Orange County Congresswoman Michelle Steele. Steele had recently been elected to the House. One of three Korean-American women voted into Congress, along with fellow Orange County Republican Young Kim. We started our conversation there. It's really interesting because Young Kim and I raised kids together. So she is one of my best friends. And we got elected at the same time. So we are very lucky to work together. You did. And right in the neighboring districts right down there in Orange County, we want to talk to you about that. But, you know, we always like to begin at the beginning here on our show. And uh, we want to ask you, you were born in Seoul, South Korea, I think in 19... Should I say the year? It's okay. 1955. (laughs) Uh, And your family moved to Japan where you grew up. But what brought your family to, uh, to Japan? Oh, my father was a diplomat. So you know what, that's the only post he had. So I graduated my junior high and high and high school in Japan with one year of college. Then, you know, um, my major was English and I started pronouncing that, you know, McDonald is like Macdonaldo and my dad's <laughs> major was English. He said, 
I think you better go to America, learn how to、uh-huh. speak English. So that's the way he sent me here, and then he passed away. So my mom joined me after that with two、uh, my younger sisters. What was it like before coming here, being in Japan? I know that、um, you know Japanese culture can be sort of insular. You guys were from a different country. There's a lot of history, not all of it great, between Korea and Japan. Was that something that you felt as a kid? Well, there's a, a rough history between Korea and Japan, but you know what? Actually, my, since my father was a diplomat, I ch- was treated really nicely, and you know,、um, I really enjoyed my life there, and I really liked it. And you know, within six months period, I, you know,、uh, be- become speaking became speaking perfect Japanese unless I told them that my name. They didn't know I was Japanese or Korean, but you know what? English is really different. I think、yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> forever. But you know what? I came here later too, but I didn't use Japanese for last how many years now? Almost what? Thirty six years. So, oh my God, Scott,、wow. I'm telling you, age at this time. <laughs> so you know what?、Um, my Japanese is a little rusty, but you know what? When I go back, I need a couple of days to you know come back to normal. You know, like a Japanese speaking. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe you, you and your family came to California. Your, was it your dad passed away? I believe,、right. and you came to California and Los Angeles. Why, why California? Why LA? Oh, because my mom、uh, had a friend here that you know.、Uh, I came here to go to college, so I went to Pepperdine undergrad and USC for、uh, graduate school. And my mom wanted to make sure that somebody, if something happened to her first daughter, that you know what, somebody can take care of her. So her. Friend, one of the best friend was here, so asked her that if something happened, or can you help her to go to college, applying it. So you know what, I got a lot of help from my mom's,、uh, you know, friend. That's the reason that she sent me here. I mean, what was it like when you first arrived?、Uh, such different countries from both places you've lived before.、Um, like, what were your impressions as a young woman moving to Los Angeles and and starting at Pepperdine? I thought. That I speak good English, and you know when I came here, whatever I say, they couldn't understand what I was talking about. <laughs> and then, the, you know, actually, I went through City College too. So the first one was Palomar City College in San Diego, Marisa. Oh yeah. So yeah, I went there one semester, and then you know what? I took one psychology class, and I didn't know that there was like an audio test only. But you know what? I studied and then go to the audio test, and I couldn't understand what questions were. So I did really bad for the first test. So I went to the professor and I said, "You know what? I can read and write, but I cannot speak and I cannot really listen." So he gave me the paper test, and I aced it. But you know what? It was very, very tough, and try to communicate was the toughest one. I'm wondering how、uh, being in Southern California. I mean, you came at a pretty tumultuous time. You know, it was right after the Vietnam War. Was Watergate was happening, and you were in Korea,、uh, Korea and of course Japan during the Cold War.、Um, and I, how did how do you think all of that that political kind of chaos, tumult,、uh, and division? You know, how did it affect the way you looked at the world? You know what? I was not really interested in politics in my life, so I really. Didn't really care, or I never really read at that time until I met my husband, and I was dating him, and he was in politics since he was fourteen, and our best man was White House a speechwriter at that time. So you know what I. 
started learning that, oh, American politics is like this at that time. But you know what? Before that, I was concentrating, studying and tried to graduate college with my English and working at the, you know, working full time at my mom's store. And, you know, I did everything I can because I came here three years before my family came. Right. So I had to lead the whole family. Um, it was very, very tough. Do you, you mentioned your husband, um, who, of course, used to run the California Republican Party, is, is, is active on the Republican National Committee. I, I mean, how much do you think his politics influenced where you've gone? Do you think you would have been uh, such a strident Republican if you hadn't met Sean Steele and married him? You know what? Um, maybe, um, you know, I became like average American citizens and, you know, they all believe that let's not fight for partisan fights. Let's do the work done. I mean, that's my mindset is. But you know what? He, all of friends that, you know, we were together, I was never really interested in politics, even I was dating him. And when they used to get together, I used to read Japanese in the Re Reader's Digest. Do you remember those books in Japanese in the corner? Because after you talk about the weather and I had nothing to talk about after that. So, you know what? I used to read and I really didn't care much. The You know, I my eye opening was on uh, the, you know, uh, the L.A. riot. And L.A. riot really hit me because Korean-American community was actually victimized uh, by the thugs. But at the same time, media were double victimized because media was showing only th that they tried to protect their assets, buildings. But you know what? They showed like a guns and these people bring out their like a greedy. And second generations came out at that time. And second generations were talking about that. Oh, Koreans were at the wrong place and wrong time. I said, oh, my God, they are not really relaying the message. And first and second generations, they don't have any a commun communication between them. So I said, you know what? I can be a bridge. I speak perfect Korean and I can speak English. I can go out there and I can be a bridge, be you know, between mainstream and Korean American community and let them know, you know what? They are trying to whatever they can because my, including my mom, first generations, they work more than 18 hours, 16 to 18 hours a day. And you know what? They try to protect their stuff and their building, their stores. So, you know, that's the... That's time that I my eyes really opened. I want to ask you about your mom because um, from what I've read, it seems like you really, in addition to what you just described with the, uh, you know, the, the Rodney King riots, that you uh, got involved in politics partly because of your mom's experience with her clothing store, I think, in Los Angeles. Tell, tell us what happened and how that light went off in your head uh, to get involved. So uh, my mother opened up the clothing shop. I told you about that. You know, my mom's best friend. Actually, she owned the men's clothing shop. I mean, uh, the wholesale. So they helped us to open men's clothing shop in downtown Los Angeles on Los Angeles Street, actually. So she opened it. We had to work seven days a week. I had to go to full-time school, seven o'clock class. And then I, you know, worked all day. And then I went back out for night class. And sometimes when you try to do homework and work, that you know what, you never really sleep. And I used to take a little nap, like inside of the box that they bring all these clothes in and you take all those plastic covers out. I used to kind of like, you know, squat down and lay down a little bit. And then I took a nap a little bit. 
And I never really had lunch, you know, at once. You had one sandwich and, you know, customers coming in and I used to go out and greet them. I was a salesperson and I was a buyer and I did everything at the store. So it was a seven days working. And my mom said, you know what, why don't we move on to five working days? It's a building sandwich shop. My mom was a teacher in her life in Korea and Japan. So she never really had these retail stores until she came here. And we all helped me and my two younger sisters. And she opened up the sandwich shop means that the clothing shop closed down. And when you are ready to close down, inventory goes down. So you pay the sales tax accordingly. But for the reclamation, a few months later after we closed down, they hit my mom with additional taxes that you used to pay this much tax, but you didn't pay. So you cheated. So you owe us that taxes that she didn't owe, plus the interest and penalties. So she paid those taxes. When you don't speak English, first generation, you got scared when you get a letter from the tax agency. So she paid the taxes she didn't owe, plus interest and penalty. So when that seed opened up, I told my husband that I think I can help small businesses. My husband's jaw dropped. He said, no, you don't want to do that. You have an accent. You don't like speaking in front of people and you're a very shy person and you don't want to do that. I said, okay, do I have to raise money or do I have to speak? And he said, well, you know what? Nobody knows this position well. So maybe you don't have to raise money and you don't have to speak. And I said, perfect. I'm funny. <laughs> You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are revisiting our conversation with Congresswoman Michelle Steele from January of 2021. We asked Steele about her time on the Orange County Board of Supervisors, including the controversial positions she took during the early response to the pandemic. And she told us why she voted against the impeachment of Donald Trump in one of her very first votes in Congress. But first, as one of the first three Korean-American women elected to Congress, we got Michelle Steele's thoughts on whether her side of the values representation. I don't think it's a party issue. I just want to work for the people. So you know what, when we, you were talking about Governor Newsom started opening up, you know, without any science backing up. I mean, it's really interesting just as suddenly it opened up. When I was chair last year in Orange County, that we actually put the business ad hoc committee and put the business ad hoc, and we put the guidelines together and we opened up. Governor actually, uh, uh, governor actually attacked us and then, you know what, decided to close down only Orange County beaches at that time. So what I want to do is not the partisan, but I really want to work for the people, what they really need. Like right now, that you know what, vaccination has to be really distributed right and fast. California is one of the bottom right now. So that has to be done. You know what, pandemic has to be really stopped. And you know what, we really have to do something. All of these vaccinations, we really have to work hard, make sure that, you know, anybody wants to have vaccination, they should get it. Not like age limited or, you know, certain community limited. And it's supposed not to do that. And businesses have to open up because they've been closed down for the last 10 months. Last September, I heard 23% of the businesses are not coming back. So I want to work for the people and I want people to have more money inside of their pocket, not government's pocket. So that's why I and I don't think it's more of the party issue, but I just want to work 
with people and work for the people. Let me ask you, when you were on the board of supervisors, initially at least, you were very outspoken against the mask mandate that the county uh, had put in place. Uh, and the health director, Dr. Quirk, I think her name was, faced a lot of backlash. Uh, she ultimately resigned. There were death threats, I think. She had, uh, uh, she had uh, protection from the uh, sheriff's deputies and so on. And I'm just wondering, how do you, how do you think about you know, your words, I mean, any, you know, as a public official, how words can really have an effect on people uh, in ways that you may not have intended in terms of like the way, say, what happened on January 6th or, you know, more, more, more uh, in your vicinity, what happened with the health director? You know what? Actually, we didn't know anything about coronavirus at that time. So we tried to do whatever we can, the best the, you know, but at the same time, that you know what they were coming down to that all the mask has been mandated, and our sheriff said, you know what, I'm not the you know ma- uh, mask police, and I'm not gonna um, enforce anything. I said there's no enforcement. Why we have to make mandate? You know the mask. You know mask wearing, and I told the people that you know. Orange County is the residents are much smarter when they need their you know masks they're gonna wear masks and when they are sick they're gonna stay away so let people have the choice I was never against the mask itself I said mandate the government's telling you what to do was the wrong thing that's what I said. I mean, how is that different than a seatbelt law or a helmet law or any of the other things? Nudity laws, right? We have to put on pants when we go outside. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? If you just keep going like that, then you know what? We have we have to draw the line something. For when you are not wearing seatbelt, please come and give you a ticket. Mask wearing that our sheriff's department said we are not enforcing any of those mandates that you know you have to wear masks. That's the difference here. Yeah. Do you, does, it, does it bother you at all that the whole idea of masks and vaccines now, to a certain extent, have become so political, you know, and when really it, I mean, it shouldn't be, I suppose, because it's a health issue. Um, but, you know, there are other health issues that are also political. But, you know, what are your thoughts about that? How is there a way that elected officials and others can sort of take the politics out of it a little bit? Especially for the uh, COVID-19, I think we should get out of politics and we should really deliver. That's what, you know, for, for vaccinations, the same thing too. We really have to work on it so everybody can get those vac- you know, vaccines. And at the same time, they, we really have to make sure that we're going to deliver something because I heard that some of the vaccines were actually thrown away because they didn't keep it right. That's not really acceptable. So we really have to work on it. It has nothing to do with politics, but it has everything to do with Californians and their businesses. So I'm curious then, I mean, you've talked about wanting to deliver for your constituents. Orange County is now a very purple place. I mean, where do you see opportunities to work with Democrats in Congress? Well, you know, uh, Trump administration did a great job. They're lowering income taxes and lowering corporate taxes. But they put that uh, you uh, there's a cap on state taxes, especially blue states like California. We are paying up to 13.3% income taxes. And they were talking about right now they're going to raise to 
I mean, you know, this is very, very high state income taxes. I think Trump administration tried to hurt some of the blue states was the reason that, you know what, they have a cap on $10,000 cap that you can deduct from the federal income tax report. I think we can repeal that. I can work with other Democrats that, you know what, they feel the same way. It doesn't hurt the state, but it really hurt the, you know, um, constituents. So we really have to stop that. I think we can work together for repeal the state and local taxes. One of the first votes you had to cast uh, is was a historic one. It was about impeachment and you decided to vote no. What was your how, how did you assess that? How did how was your, what was your thinking on that? Was it a tough decision or an easy one? It was a, it, it was <laughs> I don't know it's tough or easy because you know what I on January 6th was really interesting day and I didn't know what I had to go through. First day of work in the Capitol that I got vaccination because they said you meet so many people so you have to do the back, you know, vaccine. So I got vaccination nine o'clock in the morning. And then I got a call from my husband from California. He said, oh my God, I tested positive for COVID. So you really have to go out and, you know, do the test done. And 11 o'clock I found out that I was positive on COVID-19. Then, because the riot doctor said, I have to get out of the Capitol, but I couldn't do that because we got stuck and we were locked down in our office for more than 10 hours there. So I was sitting there, but you know what? All these votes were very, very tough and I couldn't go to the floor. For the impeachment issue, it's present, it's done and present is no longer present. So why we really have to go after him without any hearings, without anything, you just voted. And I said, you know what? It's not really right things to do because people want us to go back to work, not partisan work here. Just let them, let him step down and let him go back to the, you know, not average citizen anymore since, you know, you uh, were president. But we really have to respect that. That's why I think it was easy vote for me that against the impeachment. That was Orange County Congresswoman Michelle Steele in January of 2021. Steele will be back on the ballot this November, hoping to keep her seat in what's expected to be a competitive race with Democrat Jay Chen. And that's it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at M Lagos. Have a good one. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, 
entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.